Good morning, senior pastor. This is the day that the Lord has made. Good to be with you. Morning, Pastor Ho. We have a, a, a packed lesson today. Um, as I was looking at it and, and studying it, 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 it motivated me, but parts of it, uh, I don't want to say scared me, but it really calls into question what we are really doing, especially in, in this season. Um, of our lives and in the season of the church. Uh, but we're going to be looking at three sections, as we always do, rejecting false teaching, living in light of Christ's return, and contending for the faith. Rejecting false teaching, living in light of Christ's return, and contending for the faith. We're also going to be looking at different uh, supporting scriptures from Second Peter, uh, chapter 2 and Chapter 3, and the book of Jude. Now, Christians must adhere to and defend sound doctrine. And oftentimes we hear this word doctrine, we're not quite sure what it's about. So what is doctrine or what is sound doctrine? Well, according to Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, doctrine is an act of teaching or that which is taught. It goes on further to say that the New Testament repeatedly emphasizes the value and importance of sound doctrine, sound instruction, and a pattern of sound teaching. We, as the church, as believers, as the people of God, we must recognize and reject false teaching and doctrine. That's one of the things we're called to do. And like I said, we'll get into that a little later. Um, there was a professor, or there is a professor of New Testament studies uh, from Yale who offered uh, this perspective to his students. He said, you know, though I am a professor, I am going to lie to you. This is what he told his, his, you know, his class or his students. He further clarified by saying that some of the things he was going to say would be confusing or difficult to understand. False teachers and their teachings have become a real problem for the church. But it was so from the beginning, and it will continue to be so until the end. Why is false doctrine so dangerous to the church and to Christians? Well, because false doctrine blinds people to scriptural truths. False doctrine blinds Christians, blinds us as believers to scriptural truths. This is why Jude said that we must earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, found in Jude Verse 3, John MacArthur in his book, Reckless Faith, When the Church Loses Its Will to Discern, describes discernment as the ability to understand, the ability to interpret, and the ability to apply truth skillfully. Dr. Alan Ross, in his preface to Sound Doctrine, said this, the doctrines of the church have come under attack again in this generation. Whereas in the past they have simply been denied, 
listen to this, now they are being reinterpreted to mean something very different. And we see that even in our dictionaries today, they, they continue to add or change the meanings of words. And so it is in the Bible, in the church, that doctrines are now being reinterpreted. Things are now being changed to fit or to suit the culture rather than the culture change to fit what the Bible says or what the doctrine says. So it is important for us to understand that there are false, there is false, there are falsities in our society, especially when it comes to the Bible. What we as Christians need to do is to equip ourselves to see that which is false. Open up our eyes. Read the word of God so that we can see what they're teaching, not only to us, but to our children and our children's children, because they're coming after the young. And I've said this several times before. So it's incumbent on all of us to recognize false teachings and to call, call it out and begin to teach that which is right. So how do we recognize and reject false teaching? Well, we're going to begin by looking at 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, uh, or actually 2 Peter 2 in general. Um, and I'm going to turn it over to our senior pastor now, and he's going to be talking about how we reject false teaching, how we reject false teaching. Senior pastor. And I like what you said, Pastor Ho, that we must recognize, we must recognize what is false. We must recognize that some things that are done, they are not biblically sound. And um, what I find is that people are using friendship now. I don't want to lose this friend. I don't want to lose that friend. So they compromise in order to keep that friend. We must call it out for what it is. It's false teaching and it's false, so we cannot accept it. So we must, and I repeat, we must reject false teaching. And um, we're going to deal with the deceitfulness of everything. Now, false teachers are a detriment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Pastor Ho said that earlier. Let me repeat it again. I want to make it loud and plain. False teachers are a detriment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I call on us to be careful of deceit. Know it. Recognize it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Peter took up the deceitfulness of heresy in Second Peter 2, 1 to 3. Here, Peter, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as we have today, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, 
and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many, verse 2, and many shall follow their persinous ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be even spoken of. Verse 3, and through covetousness shall they with sane words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. They shall make merchandise of you. People are preaching all kind of false thing and telling you to send this and you'll get a kerchief or you'll get a anki or you will get a this or you will get a that. The Lord is the one who gives. The Lord is the one who heals. Even the olive oil that we use, the anointed oil, it not brings healing. It's just symbolic of what David said, thou anointest my head with oil. My cup run it over. But there's no power in the oil. The power comes from your belief in Jesus Christ. So Peter recalls Israel almost continual struggle with false prophets to inform the readers that there are and there will, there shall be false teachers of the same kind. False prophets and teachers presumptively speak for God when he has not spoken. They tell you they are talking on behalf of God and God never gives them anything at all. Know them. These false prophets promote rebellion against God, commit and promote spiritual adultery, afflict the righteous through their lies and build illusion and false hope. The content of their message is not righteousness in Jesus Christ. It's not that Jesus said, but it's everything, which means, and the word means choice or option. It is not just dissemination of spreading or blatantly false doctrine though it certainly encompasses this. It is also a person choosing what he or she will believe without regard for the truth of God. Remember what we said earlier? Be careful of what you believe. Be careful of what people tell you. And you latch on to it. And you run with it. And it becomes your daily bread. Be careful of that. That is happening quite a bit. You must call it out. It was Sister McFarlane who said, you must call a spade a spade. And you can't take friendship with what people say. them wrong, them wrong. If me wrong, me wrong. All right? You cannot stand up for that and tell the person whether they <laughs> accept you or not. It is also a person choosing what he or she will believe without regard for the truth of God. It is an attitude that says, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I believe. I know what I believe. Everything place those who embrace them in a path that leads to eternal hell. 
Now, with some of these people, nothing you can do to turn them around or change them. Because if they will not believe the truth, God send them delusion and they believe a lie instead of the truth. Hard to deal with them people then. One area in particular is highlighted by Peter, that of the nine, Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord. How can you, after you have read, after you have seen what has been done, you have read the scriptures, you read that he died, he was crucified, and that he was resurrected, nobody else in history, Oh, no, no, no. Nobody else in history. So how can you not believe it? How can you not accept it? Jesus forewarned the apostles that this would happen. And others would present themselves as the hope of the church. They must go down, my friend. Apparently, these four teachers had been a part of the early church, for they had been redeemed. They had been bought by the Lord. This term carries the idea of being purchased from the slave market. Their foolish renunciation of Jesus Christ results in swift destruction or eternal punishment that they bring upon themselves. Their message of deceit and destruction cause many to embrace a lifestyle that is enticing and gratifies the senses. Let me say that again. Their message of deceit and destruction cause many to embrace a lifestyle that is enticing and gratifies the senses. And all the time the Spirit is wooing you. The Spirit is telling you that is wrong. The Spirit, you are being enticed and deceived by a certain thing, and the Spirit is telling you, no, 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 no. That's not... The way of God is ungodly. It's not right. Uh, these heresies not only affect those who embrace them, but it also brings a reproach upon Christ, Christianity, and the church, and the way of truth. Now, we hear about these false teachers. What is the motivation of their false teaching? It is nothing else but greed. They approach believers with appealing but fabricated stories and bring them into bondage so that they can exploit them financially. And this is happening so much now. So many false teachers, so much on radio, so much on television, so much in society. And people gravitate to them. Their churches are full because they never preach the true gospel. They never preach the Bible. They woo you with sweet talk. They woo you with stories. They woo you with a lot of stuff. And, and God already recognized that because he says not everybody who say, Lord, Lord, shall enter. He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life and very few will find it. Oh yes, we need a revival. Yes, Pastor, we really need a revival. We really need the Holy Spirit to move. We really need some things to be 
rooted out of his church. Oh, yes, and we better get right with God. And the time to do it is now. So be careful of the motivation. Those people motivate you. Check them out. Let the spirit lead you when they're telling the gospel story. And if it doesn't line up on with the Bible, line up and line, precept upon precept, then you know that they are wrong. If you don't feel the Holy Spirit, I've, I've always said that the gospel is not defensive. We don't need to defend it. He can defend it himself. The Bible can defend itself. What is offensive? What do, I, what do you mean by that, Pastor Ron? It simply means that when you hear the gospel and wherever you go after church is finished or wherever you hear the gospel, if you hear it on television or the radio, and if it does not cause you a stir, if it does not cause you to want to change your ways and make it right. I told you the story of going to uh, a men's activity. I think it was in Washington, D.C., these men for Washington for Jesus. And I went to one of them. And one of the preachers, I mean, when he preached and preached and preached and preached us, took off our clothes, took us to the bathroom, wash us down, dry us up, and took us back. And there was weeping and wailing. The gospel is not defensive, my friend. It is offensive. So be careful of these false teachers who fabricate stories, who bring you into bondage so that they can exploit you. God is aware of their deeds and warning every descriptive term that their verdict can result in destruction will not be indefinitely prolonged. They will be destroyed. They will be brought to judgment. When Philip said, first, first Timothy 4 warns us that in the last days, the deceiving spirit will teach the doctrines of demons. Today, religious cults and charlatans abound. The reason these deceivers draw many people in the power of the demonic that teaches them. That is the reason. Because they are nothing else but religious cults. And you might be following a cult and don't know. But my friends, they will be brought to judgment. And the judgment of God will be swift. Amen. In Second Peter 2.49, we talk about the certainty of judgment. And here, Peter... He said, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. To further emphasize the certainty of judgment, Peter uses three examples of previous judgment. First, the angels that sin have already been cast into the abode of those who violate the will of God. And now have no hope. Their abiding place is one of deep gloom and thick darkness. The only reprieve is when they stand before God for final judgment. The angels that sin. Satan and his angels. Number two, the flood. 
is also God's judgment. And notice as an example of judgment upon the rampant wickedness of the ancient world. Note that only now a proclaimer of righteousness and seven other souls escape. And we were talking the other day. Now I preached for 120 years and had no converts to show because they laughed at him, they mocked him, they jeered him, and he had no convert to save except those who were saved and was with him building the ark. Number three, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes for what they're doing. Oh, yes, for what they commit. Ah, it's in the church now. People accept it. And we were talking yesterday, I was talking to somebody, and I said they should not be on our platform. Yes, men going to men, women going to women, and going to animals, and the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, although Abraham pleaded that if you find any righteous, Will you save them? And the Lord said yes. And they could even find five righteous persons. And they were destroyed. Coming down from 50. Could even find five righteous. They were destroyed. And Sodom and Gomorrah was turned into ashes. And it is here said today as a reminder to prevent those who would live apart from God. Be careful, my friends. Be careful of those who are trying to motivate you to do something that is not godly. Be careful of the deceitfulness of heresy. Be careful of false teachers. Amen. Be careful because judgment is coming. And it's going to be swift. And I could go on and on and on. But we'll have to finish the rest in church. Living in the light of Christ's return. He's coming back again. He's coming. Pastor O. Living in light of Christ's return. And senior pastor, as you were talking, I'm just shaking my head because of the amount of delusions. Uh, you use that word, delusions. People have become um, delusional spiritually. Uh, they're believing so many things that are out there. Um, it's as if God no longer has standards. It's as if the Bible doesn't even exist. And we hear of these things, and it gives the examples, you know, about the angels that sinned, and then about the flood, and then about Sodom and Gomorrah. And here we are, 2021, and our society, our world, we're still facing these perils, and we will not turn. We will not turn. And it, it saddens my heart that there are so many that are being deceived by the spirit of the age. And the devil is using every tool, every antic that he can in order to deceive men. But we have to continue to pray. We have to continue, as you mentioned, Senior Pastor, about 
you know, how Noah prayed for 120 years and not one person was converted until it was too late. They came knocking on the door and the door was shut. That's what we have to face in judgment if we are not careful. If we get turned around and we start believing a lie as truth, then we too are going to end up like those that did not listen to the word of God, that did not listen to the warning, to the heed, to the call of God. All right, the second section, uh, this section is going to deal with discernment, um, living in light of Christ's return. Um, Everything must be looked at in relationship to Christ's return, to his second coming, his second advent, or social constructs or economies or governments. What does the world look like today? This is discernment. This is spiritual discernment. How to look through all those things and see what God says through his word. And uh, compare and contrast. That's what we do with uh, spiritual discernment. We compare and we contrast. We see what is going on and we compare it to the word of God and we contrast it to how we should be living rather than what is happening now. So there's this little word called scoffers. It's found in Second Peter chapter three, verse three, um, and let's read it. Uh, chapter uh, well, verse three and four. It says, "Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, there is the promise. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep." All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Doesn't this sound familiar? So what does it mean to be a scoffer? According to GodQuestions.org, a scoffer in this context is one who mocks Christ, ridicules the things of God, and opposes the gospel. Both Peter and Jude were writing warnings against false teachers who were intent on leading others astray. The word scoffer refers to one who denies the truths of Scripture and entices others to go along with, this, with his error. Do you have enticers in your midst? Who are you connected to? Who is your friend? Who is your neighbor? Who is enticing you? These are the things we need to answer in our own lives. Peter describes here false teachers who have appealed to believers' emotions and have led some astray. Sound familiar? These teachers are characterized and controlled by their own illicit desires. Again, sounds familiar? Own lust or illicit desires meant that they were doing whatever they wanted to do because they didn't believe in Christ's return. Where is the promise of his coming, they asked, scoffingly. Again, sounds familiar? Are we not seeing and hearing the same things happening now? Where is Jesus? Where is God? 
Does God even exist? This is just a figment of your imagination. This is just mythology. We can't explain it away. The earth, the sky, the universe, all these things, ah, they, they came about a different way. God did not speak it into it. Aren't, aren't we hearing all these things? And yet we continue in our sinful state. Ironically, the false teachers who mock the belief of Christ return, well, Christ return, are themselves a sign of the last day. False teachers are a sign of the last day. The New Testament makes it clear we are living in the last day, just as the epistle's original readers were. In today's civilized world, the taunting might be less direct, but just as offensive. And I, you know, I, I can say that the taunting still exists because Christians are being taunted. Christians are being persecuted for their belief. Christians are often depicted in the media as inept and ignorant buffoons who are committed more to a radical political ideology than their morals. We are in a hostile world, and we must be careful of the image of Christ that we project. The false teacher's logic is, since Christ has not yet returned, he is not coming. Things will continue as they are. This, this is what they're saying. This is exactly what they're saying. Let's continue. Second Peter 3, verses uh, 7 and 8. It says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day, is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. To help his readers understand the timing of the second coming from God's perspective, Peter draws from Old Testament teaching, found in Psalm 90, verse 4. That for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. This statement reemphasizes that he has told them about learning from the prophets. As well, it provides a proper perspective from which to understand God's seeming delay and serves to warn that when Jesus returns, it will be suddenly. Our senior pastor said earlier said it's going to be swift as humanity's understanding of time and God's eternal perspective do not usually coincide. In other words, our timing is not God's timing. The problem of time is a human one, not God's. Now, I remember last week we, when we were talking and we were discussing uh, the Spirit of God, I said that we have a spirit problem. 
This week, though, we look at this lesson, we realize that we have a time problem. Constantly we are trying to figure out when, when is Jesus returning? When is he coming back? In fact, eschatology, which is the study of end times or last days, has become a multi-million dollar industry from books to movies to infomercials as many try to predict or explain the second coming of Jesus Christ. But this is our problem. This is not God's problem. This is our problem. God doesn't have a time problem. We have a time problem. Why do we have a time problem? Because what some people are trying to do is to figure out, hey, if I can live a certain life, in a certain way, then if I know when Jesus is coming back, then all I have to do is ask for forgiveness, just right there and then, and then I'll be able to make it to heaven. That's not how it works. There's this thing called death. And if we are so privy to experience this transition from death to life, what will your eternity look like? So we ask the question, is God delaying the coming of Christ or is he being merciful? So is he delaying it or is he being merciful? Well, let's continue. Second Peter 3, verse 9 and 10. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us work not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I didn't say it. That's the Bible. That's what the Bible says. This was Peter's warning. Peter reveals the false teachers were ignorant of God's character. A perceived delay in the return of the Lord actually points to God's mercy and patience. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, brothers and sisters, God is being patient with us. Do you understand? He's being patient with us. But as I read this, I didn't know whether to be thankful, worried, or both. Because there are so many right now that are walking in deception. If we believe what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2, then many will be caught off guard. For it says, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming just like a thief in the night. That's what the scripture said. And if we believe the scriptures, then there are many, maybe even those that are hearing. Some of you might be caught off guard because you're busy doing this, you're busy doing that, you're busy going here, you're busy going there, and you're forgetting what the word of God is saying to us. 
Judgment and wrath are subject to God's ultimate desire to see repentance by those who are not in a proper relationship with him. Repent, 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 for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, we must note that mercy always precedes judgment, not the other way around. Mercy always precedes judgment. God is not a tyrant who desires to punish people. In fact, God's desire is that absolutely no one spend eternity in hell, but that everyone find life in Christ. Where do you want to spend your eternity? I go back to that question. The day of the Lord will come quickly and unexpectedly, and my prayer is that each and every one that I know, and even those that I don't know, will never spend a day in eternal damnation. So are you ready? Will you be ready? See, what concerns me even more is that Christians are going about unconcerned. I have asked this question even of myself. What are you doing, Pastor O? Those who ought to be the light of the world are actually adding to the darkness. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's Matthew 5 verse 13. So I've been struggling with this. I've really been asking God to help me make sense of all of this because I see the path that many are taking. And that's why lessons like this are very important to remind us, to remind us of our mission. Our mission is not to predict but to preach. We can't get caught up in the things of the world, for there is greater, there is a greater mission, and the world is going to look to us for the answer. And we all know what the answer is. We all know who the answer is, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. David C. Cooper says, why predict what Christ has already promised? And I love that. Why predict what God, what Christ has already promised? If you trust the promise of his return, you won't be tempted to chase predictions of his return. Based on scripture, we know that we are in the ballpark for his return. We're in the vicinity. We know things are are happening and they are happening quickly. But we must not go around trying to predict his return. Like I said earlier, we have a time problem, but God doesn't have a time problem. Time problem is our problem, not God's. Second Peter three eleven through 13, let's continue reading. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, 
Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. What are we looking for? New heavens and a new earth. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Peter asked. Another rendering asked the question a different way. What kind of people ought you to be? In other words, what should your behavior or conduct be? Or what should your behavior or conduct look like? Christians must vigilantly guard against their infiltration into the church. Those scoffers, mockers, and those who twist the truth will always exist. Peter encouraged his audience to remain resolutely rooted in the promises of God, knowing that the Lord has set a firm date at which time he will bring about cleansing and final justice. In the meantime, he has also uh, he was also clear about a believer's personal responsibility. He said, you ought to live holy. You ought to live godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. In other words, we live in anticipation of the new heaven and the new earth. If a person believes in the soon return of the Lord, it will be evident in behavior that reflects the holiness and character of God. Our behavior must reflect the holiness and character of God. This is God's standard of living. Our behavior, I'll say it again, our behavior must reflect the holiness and character of God. So, let's recap a little bit before we go into the book of Jude. We must reject false teaching. We must live in the light of Christ's return. And now, as we jump into Jude, we are going to learn about how to contend or defend our faith. Senior pastor, contending for the faith. Yeah, and, and just to recap a few of what you said, Pastor, and what the writer here says. And, and to those of us who are wondering, those of us who are perplexed about what is happening, right here says that we are in a hostile world, and we must be careful of the image of Christ that we project. I want to say it again. We are living in a hostile world. Just um, early this morning, or yeah, early this morning, I heard of killing in Miami, and how many people have been hurt after they had a party. It's a hostile world. People will kill you without even thinking. We're living in a hostile world, and we must be careful of the image of Christ that we project. Although there people are hostile against everything, they must see Christ living in us. They must see the love that we project for one another. By this shall all men know. We had that a few weeks ago. By this shall all men know that ye are my 
disciples if we have love towards one towards another. And then another thing that you said that I was intrigued by, Pastor, oh, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Not saying that he's coming in the night, but it will come as a thief in the night when we least expect. So we have to be careful. But, but here's my consolation. Nevertheless, we according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And that, that jumped out at me, Pastor. We look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We used to sing a song when I had my first group. It says, come and go with me in my father's house. And one part says, no sinners will be there. No liars will be there. But oh, we look, we look with anticipation. We look forward with hope for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Aren't you longing for that? Where it will be a place of just righteous people living there? I mean, here we, some of us call ourselves righteous, but we can't live with each other. We are antagonistic against each other. We fight each other. Yeah, you know, but only the righteous will be there. Only the righteous will be there. Keep that at the back of your mind, as Pastor O taught it, that we look for new heavens and a new earth. No more killing in Miami. No more killing in California. No more killing here. No more black men being slaughtered. No more police brutality. Nothing. Oh, righteousness. All God's people and righteous people do righteous deeds. And we look forward to that. That, that blessed my soul. That, and I hope it blessed your soul too. All right. And because of that, because we don't know when he will come, but we know that he make a promise to us. Because we are living in an hostile world and we must be careful of the image of Christ that we project. Because the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Because we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth where dwelleth righteousness, we must contend for the faith. And this should involve all of us. We must stand up. We must fight. We must contend to preserve the gospel. We must fight for the faith. Don't compromise. You might lose friends. People might leave the church where you're pastoring because you stand up, you contend for the faith. But my friend, stand up. Stand up even when others don't support you. Stand up. We must not take side. Stand up with your pastor. Stand up with your minister. Stand up with your brother and sister. And let's contend for the faith. Yes. Yes, we are living in a hostile world. We're going through hostility. And people don't like us. And the Lord told us that long time. But contend. Contend for the faith. It's a war, my friend. But the weapons of our warfare, hallelujah, is not carnal, 
but it's mighty through God. We know our leader. We know that we will win the battle. We know that we cannot be defeated. So, so contend for the faith. Wherever you are, wherever you are, of whatever standing you are, yes, contend for the faith. Even if you lose friends, contend for the faith. Don't compromise, but stand up for the faith. And we can be encouraged, Pastor O, even when they leave the church you're pastoring because they don't want to hear the truth, because they don't want to hear the gospel message. And if you have to stand alone, Oh, stand up and contend for the faith. Here, 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 Jude. And Jude is the second to last Bible, our second to last chapter of the New Testament. He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that he should earnestly Content for the faith which was one delivered, which was once delivered unto the saints. Why? For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were born of old, ordained to this condemnation. And hear what he called them, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord. Jesus Christ. And I think I preached a message on that already. Contend, contend, my friend. Jude originally intended to write a letter concerning our common salvation. He does not use common in the sense of that which is not ordinary, but rather that which is mutually shared. Like Peter, Second Peter 1, and it seemed like he was there when Peter was writing it, or Peter was there when he was writing it. He understands and wants to communicate that their salvation is no different than his. It's the same. Yes, what, what are we saying? We are saying that the time has come to show the world that we are walking by the same rule and that we mind the same thing. Instead, the crisis demands that they should contend for the faith. What is this? This is a call to spiritual warfare that includes making every effort necessary to remain dedicated and consecrated in the faith. I'm going to say that again. I'm telling you three things. Making every effort, and some people don't want to make the effort at all. They spend more time doing other stuff than reading their Bible. They spend time doing other stuff than talking to God. They spend time doing other things than, um, you know, dedicating themselves to work faithfully for the Lord, but we must make every effort necessary to remain dedicated and consecrated in the faith. We don't have time to jump ship now. We don't have time to jump offline now. We must stay in the faith and consecrate ourselves and dedicate ourselves. Oh, yes, yes. We must struggle if necessary, to bring those deceived by the false teachers back to a corrected relationship with God so we don't leave them because of that. Only God can determine that if they, are, if they have been left to their reprobate mind. But we must contend. That's why we are contending. 
to bring them back into a relationship with God. Someone wants to meet with you, someone that won't want to talk to you, but oh, if it's necessary, and, and hear me, hear me, church. Sometimes it's necessary to leave some things and let it sink in for some people to realize that that which they have done is wrong. Sometimes you leave them alone because, you know, if you try, sometimes it makes matters worse, you know. Sometimes it's, it's the choir singing to the choir and it's difficult, but leave them. Let the Spirit of God pray for them. I still pray for people who despitefully use me. I don't hate anybody. Oh, but we must struggle. It's a struggle, my friend, um, to bring those deceived by false teachers back to a corrective relationship with God. And I note it didn't say to bring the false teachers, but those who are deceived by false teaching, to bring them back into a corrective relationship with God. But those who are false teachers must be called out must be told that that which you believe is wrong, that that which you preach is wrong. So stand with us when we call them out. Stand with us. Confront them. Confront the false teachers about their heretical doctrine and their offensive attack. The faith encompasses the body of believers, of beliefs given to the church. Oh, we all make up the church, and we must stand up with God's church, the gates of hell shall not prevail, no matter what you see. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church because he is the head of the church. Hallelujah. He died for it. He gave his life for it. He was resurrected and he told Peter, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here we have an intentional contrast emerges between the saints. Those who are the rightful heirs of the heritage of the faith and the certain men who have crept in unawares, who have deceptively sneaked into the midst of the church, we find them and we must call them out, whether they be man or woman, call them out. And, and they won't like it. Some people will tell you that they know more than you know, but we must, it, it must be line upon line and precept upon precept. There is that disdainful tone to judge to Jews calling them certain men because they are ending the work of God, afflicting the saints and deceiving the weak. They are not instruments of God, but they are ungodly instruments of the enemy. Oh, this sounds good. They are not instruments of God. When they cannot be corrected, they are not instruments of God but they are a godly instrument of the enemy. These have previously been marked out for judgment, ordained to this condemnation. Yeah, the Lord brings some people, vessel to honor and vessel to dishonor, and then bring them so that he can bring his judgment upon them. Learn from this, my friends. Learn from this, sunshine. They are posing as agents of God's grace. They promote Flagrant, I watch basketball, and sometimes, you know, if you run into the person, it's called a fragrant foul. Or if you challenge the, the, the referee, challenge him and you can't stop talking. Fragrant. Sometimes you're ejected from the game, and they must be ejected from the church. Fragrant. And he married 
immoral, immorality and deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. How can you hear Paul? Hear what Paul said to back up, to back up Jude and to back up Peter in 1 Timothy 1, verse 18 and 19. He says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. That's what they have done, but we're calling them out today. You can also read chapter 4. We're calling them out today. Charles W. Conn said, the devil is very active in supplying false Christ as well as false prophets, false angels, false doctrine, false miracles, <laughs> total false religion. Satan's strategy is to flood the market with the false and thereby neutralize the truth. You only think I should read that again? The devil is very active in supplying false Christ. Don't some people say that they are him? Some people act like him, but they are not him. And false prophets who teach false things and false angels, them look like an angel, them dress like an angel, them walk like an angel, them talk like an angel, but they are no angel. And false doctrine that doesn't line up with the Bible. And they do false miracles. Oh, that's why I'm very careful. Wherever I go, it's not every preacher lay their hand on me. No, 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 no. False miracles. I believe I can pray just like anybody else, and I'm not knocking. Some people come, and they come, and they want to pray for you, and it's all in line. Nothing wrong with that, but we must recognize it, and they do false miracles. Uh, one person did that when, when Peter was preaching, and uh, Peter had to rebuke her in the name of the Lord, and Simon tried to buy the the, 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 the gospel tried to buy, oh, yes, the spirit, and um, had to be told, oh, no, 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 you can't do it that way. You must come through the blood of Jesus Christ. So be careful of total false religion. Be careful of Satan's strategy to flood the market with the false, and you believe it when it's not the truth, and thereby, thereby neutralize the truth. True word, true word, true word. And let us, my friend, let us not be deceived because God is not mocked. And um, let's look, look through our spiritual eyes. End time mockers, just as we have the end of time, there are mockers who will come. And um, also, if you remain in Christ, what will happen? Pastor O will take us through the rest of this subject matter. Praise be to God. Amen. Uh, that, that, uh, that quote from Charles W. Kahn, uh, man, if we could spend some time there, we'd be here all day because that, I think, uh, summarizes exactly what we are talking about. Amen. Um, Amen. Referring to satanic strategy. And unfortunately, Satan uses this strategy not against unbelievers as much as he uses it against believers. 
So Christians ought to be aware. That's why we're talking about having a discerning spirit so that we can discern Satan's strategies. His strategy is to flood the market with the false. So in other words, you're seeing something or watching something or even hearing something and you're, you know, you're, oh, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, okay, I, I, can, I can go along with that. Be very careful of the things that you go along with, of the things that you hear, of the things that you receive in your spirit as truth. Because Satan, his strategy is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The Bible outlines it. Steal, kill, and destroy. Right? He's going to steal your joy. He's going to rob your hope. He's going to rob you of your faith, right? And then he's going to kill you, not necessarily physically, but he's going to kill your dreams. He's going to kill your hope. He's going to kill your aspirations because now he has you. Now you are his, and he can wield you like a, you know, like a slave. And now... Instead of doing what God says, you're doing what he says. Think about it, my friend. Very, very, very important that you understand the strategy of the enemy. So let's go on to Jude, verses 20 through 23. It says, so we must contend or defend our faith by remaining in Christ. But how do we do that? Well, in verse 20 it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Verse 23. And others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So here Jude is giving us a strategy that we can use. And Jude outlines four things. Jude gave four exhortations here. And Jude said they are to continue building on the strong foundation of the faith that endures. That's the first thing. Second, they are to continue praying in the Holy Spirit. Third, Jude commands them to guard themselves in the love of God. Fourth, they are to continue looking for the mercy of the Lord, accepting his loving kindness. So, we contend for the faith by being faithful, being prayerful, being watchful, and being grateful. I've just summed it up in, in, in four words. Faithful, prayerful, watchful, grateful. Again, right, if you have a pen or a pencil or whatever, write it down. Or later on you can listen to, listen to it. So we contend for the faith by being faithful, faithful to God, being prayerful. Remember he said that uh, we are to continue praying in the Holy Spirit. We are to be watchful meaning that we, you know, we are to guard ourselves, guard ourselves from the things that would infiltrate our faith, right? 
And then finally, we ought to be grateful. Because Jude said it another way. He said that we, we are looking for the mercy of the Lord and accepting his loving kindness. Accepting his loving kindness meaning that you ought to be grateful for the mercies of the Lord. So again, faithful, prayerful, watchful, and grateful. Jude correctly teaches that the focus cannot be entirely inward because he says in verse 23, and others save with fear, right? Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, meaning that we must reach out to others. Jude provides an image of those caught in the depths of sin in verse 23. It is a vivid reminder that if the church does not evangelize, lost souls are going to spend eternity in hell. And this is a place to be feared. We must hate the sin, hate the garments spotted by the flesh, but love the sinner enough to do whatever it takes to bring them to salvation. And we always say that we should start at home. Do you love your wife enough? Do you love your husband enough? Do you love your children enough? Do you love the sinner enough to do whatever it takes to bring them to salvation? Do you? That's a question we need to answer. Finally, we must learn to discern the truth. And this is in closing. All Christians need to be able to discern truth from myth and righteousness from ungodliness. But here's the thing. The devil wants us to be confused. Remember what we talked about earlier, that quote from Charles W. Kahn. Right? His strategy, his strategy is to flood the market. Well, when he floods the market, what he's trying to do is confuse you as to what is truth from what is a lie, at least his version of the truth. We must understand that the devil does not want smart Christians. And I'm going to say something very bold here. He wants dumb Christians. I'm going to say it again. The devil does not want smart Christians. He wants dumb Christians. Have you ever been in, in service? Have you ever been in church? And this is just a, one of the many examples I can give. And all of a sudden when the preacher comes on, I mean, you're having a great time. The, the songs of Zion are, are, are being sung and, and the, 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 the music sounds good and you're having a sweet time and a soon as the messenger comes up to give us a message or to give us a sermon, right? Spirit of complacency, spirit of lethargy. All of a sudden, we start to get, a, get tired. There's a spirit of tiredness or boredom that comes over us. And oftentimes, we blame the messenger, and we don't even accept the message, because we're there. That's what the, the enemy does. We're there, and we're saying, oh, my, if they could just finish, 
30 minutes passes, 45 minutes passes, and all of a sudden we're ready to go. We're itching to leave, to go about our business. Well, these are some of the vices that the enemy uses in order to dumb us down, in order to numb us to the gospel, in order to clog our ears so that we can't hear what God is trying to say. And it's time for us to unclog our ears so that we can hear what God is trying to say to us. Talking spiritually. So he wants to dumb us down. He wants ignorant Christians that are confused by what the world says and what, and what the word says. And my question to you is, whose report will you believe? See, the longer our journey with Christ and the deeper we go in the word and the spirit, the easier discerning the truth becomes. But that's the formula. Get deeper in the word. Right? Do what Jude says. Be faithful. Be prayerful. Be watchful. And be grateful. Amen. See, if, if the devil confuses us, then we will not be able to tell the truth from a lie. And that is exactly what he wants. That is why he creates distractions when we want to read his word or we complain of boredom or being tired. Do you think that is God speaking to you? No. Spend time with us. He wants to speak to us through his word. But we have to be receptive. We only get one crack at this. And then we die. So whose report will you believe? Well, my Bible tells me that we shall believe the report of the Lord. I am declaring to each and every one of you that the word of God is true. And he's coming back again. The question is, will you be ready? So I implore you, as our senior pastor gets ready to pray for us, I implore you, walk with the Lord and his church. Mature your faith. Enrich the kingdom of God. And protect yourself from false teachings and false teachers. Stay with the Lord, because that's our only way out of this confusion. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And if we keep that in the back of our mind, I believe we will make heaven our home. Senior Pastor. All right, everybody, let's pray. I think we have heard uh powerful teaching from the Lord. And I hope that you have been enthused to go on with him, to tighten those reins, to look to him from whence cometh our help, because our help cometh from him. Bow your heads, everybody. Father, we bless your name this morning. We have listened as through your Holy Spirit, the teachings were delivered to us. 
We have been told to reject false teachers, to be not deceived. We have been told that judgment is coming. We have been told to live in the light of your return because we know you are coming back. We are been told to contend for the faith, telling us we are in a spiritual warfare. Oh, God, and that there will be end-time mockers. But we must remain in Christ. That's what we have been called to do because we know not the day nor the hour when you shall put in your appearance. Lord, so many of our comrades have been deceived. So many people are losing their testimony. So many people are losing faith in you because the devil, like a roaring lion, is walking to and fro the earth, seeking whom he may devour. But Lord, as you recognize them, when the sons of Job came to present themselves, the devil was also in their midst, and you recognize him. And you say, Satan, from whence comest thou? And he said, from walking to and fro the earth, seeking whom I may devour. He's on borrowed time. He's loose and walking around. But, oh, God, in thy name we discharge and rebuke him. We take authority over him right now. Satan, you are defeated for leave God's children alone. We pray that faith will be strengthened this morning. We pray that testimonies will be renewed. We pray, O oh God, that you will visit your church. O oh God, and that the Spirit of God will bring about the revival. O oh Holy Ghost, Revival comes from thee. Send the revival. Start the work in us. We pray for those who are weak and need to be strengthened. We pray for those who are sick and need healing for their bodies. We pray for those who are not saved and need the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Save them, we pray. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. We snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. We weep over them this morning. We lift up the falling. We tell them the message of Jesus who can save. Oh God, thank you this morning and help us to get ready for your imminent return. In spite of Satan's tragedy, in spite of false religion that is flooding the market, we pray, O oh God, that the truth will stand the test of time. Oh, yes, you save today. From the Atmos you save. And we tell the news to every land that Jesus saved. Thank you today. We praise you today. We glorify you today. And we pray that we will not lose confidence in you, but our faith will stand in you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. And we praise and glorify your holy name. 
in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We say amen and amen.